All right. Good morning again. If I have not had a chance to meet you yet, I want to introduce myself. I'm Alan Pittman. I have the pleasure of serving as the senior pastor here, as well as one of the elders. And we are absolutely thrilled that you chose to come and worship with us today. Um, Some of you are here for your first time. Uh, You came to celebrate Juliana's baptism, and we're glad that you're here. If you don't have a church family, we'd love for you to come back on another Sunday and worship with us again. I know we have some students that are in uh, getting ready for the semester to begin. Uh, I know we've got some folks that were away for the summer and they're back in town. So lots of different moving parts today. We are absolutely thrilled that you're with us today. If you're worshiping online, uh, we'd love you to come and worship with us in the building as soon as you have an opportunity to do that. Um, if you have not, if you and I have not had a chance to meet yet, I would love to have that opportunity at the end of the service. I'll be out in the, uh, for your area, swing by and say hello to me and we'll, uh, try to take a chance to get to know one another. Another way that you can help us out is there is a connection card should be found in a chair in front of you and you can fill this out. And then a little bit later when offering plates are passed, if you're a guest, we'd ask you don't feel the need to put any money in there. Just drop the connection card. That'll help us out. We can connect with you. And then uh, those of you who did bring uh, an offering, you can drop it in there as well. Lots of things are going on, as you heard a moment ago, in that lengthy uh, video announcement. And the reason we shared all that is because we don't want you to miss out on what is happening. And yet, at the same time, we know it kind of is like drinking from a uh, fire hydrant. So if you'll go to the website, uh, you'll find a link there called The Hope. And when you click on the hope, be sure and scroll down at the bottom. You'll see all the activities that are going on, some of which require registration and others that do not. But you'll find the information there. One thing that did not specifically get mentioned this morning that I want to share with you, and that is we have a youth program for those in 7th through 12th grade. It's called 605. It meets on Wednesday nights, and it's actually kicking off this Wednesday night. So 605 starts back this Wednesday night. Uh, you'll want to be here and be a part of that. Uh, while it officially starts at 6.05, um, this year you can come as early as 5.45 for uh, food and hanging out with friends and things like that. So if you are a 7th through 12th grader, we'd love for you to be a part of that. One other thing real quick, it was mentioned, but I'm saying it every week, and that is don't miss August the 27th. That Sunday, be here. You'll want to be here in the morning and you'll want to be here in the evening. Uh, it, this is going to be a very important Sunday for us as a church family. So be here on August the 27th. Uh, at 5 p.m., we do have a family celebration that night, and all that information is found online as well. All right, hopefully when you came in, you picked up a worship guide, and on the worship guide, you'll see a place where there's some sermon notes, and you can take for, uh, a few more notes as we go through the message this morning, and you can see that we're in the book of Acts, and then at the very bottom of the sermon notes, there's a place that shows you what text we'll be preaching from next Sunday if you wanted to read the verses ahead of time. Um, If you don't mind, go ahead and grab a Bible if you've got one with you. If you don't, there should be a Bible near you, underneath the seat, around you. It's a black hardback copy of Scripture. If you need a Bible or know someone who needs one, feel free to take that with you. That'll be our gift to you uh, from our church family. We are walking through the New Testament book of Acts. It's uh, right after all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the book of Acts. And this morning, we're going to be in Acts chapter 19. Before we get there, though, I wanted uh, to kind of set this up a little bit. As I think about our culture and our society, if we're not careful, we as Christians will end up making Christianity all about winning the culture war. 
Have you heard that term before, the culture war? I, I went to find out kind of what a definition might be. A working definition of culture war is this. A conflict or struggle for dominance between groups within a society or between societies arising from their different, differing beliefs, practices, etc. Uh, in that definition, it says that it is a dominance struggle. And, and the reality is if we're not careful as Christians, we want to try to be the dominant group and we get focused on the wrong thing. And this morning, I want us to see that we should not be focused on winning a culture war. Rather, as the title of the message says, we should be living a lifestyle that is influenced by the gospel and that that as a result changes culture. See, there is a difference between trying to win a culture war, because it's all about winning and debate and struggles, and then there is something very real about living a godly life that because of our godliness, it impacts positively our culture. And so in this text this morning, in Acts chapter 19, we're going to see that while the goal or the end is not changing the culture, it's actually a natural outcome of people who follow Jesus. You see, if we follow Jesus, our culture will be radically impacted and changed for the good, for God's glory. And in this text this morning, we're going to see that Paul and other believers in the city of Ephesus were living their lives in such a way that the gospel was impacting everything and everyone around them. So let's go ahead and look at the text. Acts chapter 19, beginning in verse 21, and then we'll read to the end of the chapter. Here's what it says. Now, after these events, and I, and I realize we're picking up the story in the middle of it. If you want to go back and read this passage later on, you can. If you want to go back to our website, you can look at the sermon from last week and the previous weeks to kind of see what all has transpired. But it says, now, after these events, Paul, who was a missionary, a follower of Jesus, an apostle, he resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia, that's a province, not the continent, uh, in Asia for a while. And then 23, About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way, for a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, who's a goddess, brought no little business to the craftsmen. There, he, these he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades. And he said, men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash, for you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. 
But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. All right, so let's kind of pick up the story. Paul has been in the city of Ephesus for two years. He's been on this missionary journey, and he's landed in the city of Ephesus, which is a major city, a city of great thinking and cultural influence, and they had this huge temple to their goddess Artemis there. And he had been there for over two years, and as his time in Ephesus is wrapping up, we see what his plans are for the future. I want to look at verses 21 and 22 real quickly. In 21 and 22, you can see that the Holy Spirit is leading Paul and telling him that he's to go back into Macedonia and Achaia. That's in the modern area, uh, in the area of modern Greece. And he's already been there a time or two, and God's sending him back there. So he senses that the Holy Spirit is leading him there. And then he says that he's going to go to Jerusalem after he leaves that area. And then he says, I must also see Rome. Let me pause for a second on that phrase. I must also see Rome. This is not Paul saying, I have a vacation to take. And I've heard the Colosseum is amazing. And so I'm going to venture down to Rome for the day and check it out. In fact, in our church, we have a few families that made it over to Rome this year. And I would love to go see Rome myself. But Paul's not talking about that. He's talking about, I have business for the kingdom of God in Rome. And so at this point in the story, we're going to see it shift drastically as Paul sets his mind and his heart on going to Jerusalem and then from there going to Rome. And the rest of book, the book of Acts will tell us that. Now, I want us to now look at the actual text of the story of what takes place in Ephesus that day. In verses 23 through 41, I'm going to give a quick synopsis of what took place. I'm not going to share all the details. We just read it and we'll be looking at it closer in just a moment. But basically what we have is is a city by the name of Ephesus. And Ephesus, they focused on worshiping the goddess Artemis. Another name for this goddess is Diana. And Demetrius was concerned about what was going on, and so he kind of called a trade union meeting, and he said, hey guys, we've got issues here, we're losing business, and I'm concerned about it, because Paul is going around telling people that those who worship handmade gods are wrong, and they should stop. He was concerned about their business, what would happen to his business, and so after that conversation, we see that an angry mob, they know why they're there, and a lot of them have no clue, it just was everybody was there, and we have this frenzy going on in the theater. And then we see that a guy by the name of Alexander, who's a Jew, tries to calm the crowd and bring a defense. And we don't really know anything about this Alexander. It could be that Alexander was not even a Christian. He was just a Jewish man. And he was concerned that the people were lumping all Jews together with this Christianity thing. And it could have been that he was just standing up going, hey, this isn't the Jews' fault. It's not our fault. We don't know exactly what took place. But that didn't work. And they're chanting and chanting for two hours. Finally, the town clerk stands up and he speaks. He's concerned because his position is to kind of be a liaison between the city officials and the Roman Empire. And he realizes that if there's a great disturbance, that Rome will be unhappy with him and there will be issues. And so he's going, chill people, we can't have a riot today. And he sends everyone home to try to keep the peace. 
So that's the story. Like, what does that have to do with our lives? It has a lot to do with our lives. And so let's look at it. It's there on your notes, and it'll be on the screen as well. The first thing I want us to see, which is the overarching statement of truth, and that is that the gospel lived out changes things. Whenever we live out the gospel message of Jesus Christ, things and people around us change. And so this is the overarching idea, and we're going to look specifically at some of the changes that take place. But let's start here. The gospel lived out changes things. To kind of help us see that, I want us to go back one verse. Go back to verse 20. And verse 20, where we left off last week, is a summary statement, and it says, So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. That statement was made about what was happening in Ephesus. We see that the word of the Lord was being proclaimed, and therefore it was increasing and prevailing mightily. I want us to look at each phrase there real quick. The word of the Lord, what he means by that is the gospel message. The gospel message of Jesus Christ, who came as a Savior, who is Lord of all, has infiltrated the city of Ephesus. In fact, it's increased. It's the idea of it's spread rapidly and greatly. Unfortunately, there's been a lot of wildfires lately. I know you probably have seen the news about what took place in Hawaii. My sister texted this morning about a friend of her, hers who lives in the Austin area and his apartment complex was obliterated. He lost everything last night in the middle of a wildfire. We know, I've never been in one, thankfully, never been impacted directly by one, but we know that wildfires spread like crazy. And what was happening with the gospel message of Jesus was a good thing, and it was spreading, increasing, as if it was like a wildfire as it spread all over Asia. In fact, a few verses earlier, we see that because of Paul's preaching, it says that everyone in all of Asia, whether they be Jew or Greek, had heard the word of the Lord because of Paul and his ministry. It says that this is prevailing mightily. It's a power that accomplishes a purpose, which is the advancement of the kingdom of God. So that's what's happening around there. So when you get to verse 23, it makes a little more sense. When it says there was a disturbance. Look at verse 23. It says, about that time there arose no little disturbance. Whenever, how is the way you're living your life impacting your city? How is the way that you're living your life impacting your city? Or is it? Secondarily, along those same lines, how is it? That in what ways, I should say, in what ways is our church impacting our city? Or is it impacting our city? So if the gospel lived out changes everything, let's start by looking, first of all, that that lives are transformed. It's there on your notes. Lives are transformed. It begins at this level. It begins with individuals being transformed by the hope of the gospel. What is the gospel? What is the word of the Lord? What is the message of Jesus Christ? The message of Jesus Christ is this, that in spite of the fact that we are sinners, in spite of the fact that we have become rebels against God and choosing our way instead of his way, in spite of the fact that our sin separates us from an eternal, perfect, holy God, there is hope, and that hope is Jesus Christ. You see, the scripture tells us that because of our sin and rebellion against God, what we deserve is death. And whenever we say we deserve death, that's not just physical death, but more importantly, it's, it's relational death, it's spiritual death, as we are separated for all eternity from God. 
But the good news is that Jesus Christ came and He lived a life that you and I cannot live. He lived sin-free, perfect life, never sinning, and yet He died on the cross for you and me. And so we have the cross over here, and the cross is a reminder of the great sacrifice and price that Jesus paid for us. He is our substitute, taking our death and taking our sins upon his shoulders and dying on the cross. But the good news is he didn't just die on the cross and get buried, but he was buried, and three days later he was raised to life. And because of his death for our sins, and because of his resurrection from the grave, If we place our faith and our trust in Jesus, acknowledge that we are a sinner, repent of our sins, and come to Jesus in faith, our sins are forgiven. Juliana and I were talking this week about how the picture of the baptism waters is the fact that our sins are washed away. The truth of the matter is this water isn't special holy water. It just came from the same place your water that you drank this morning came from. It's just city water. But it's a symbol of the fact that Jesus washed her sins away when she placed her faith and her trust in Jesus. Not just now, but about a year ago when she placed her faith and her trust in Him. And then this picture is a reminder to all of us that our sins are washed away, as she told me the other day, by the blood of the Lamb. That Jesus washes away our sins. If you have placed your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, then your life is radically altered. Your life is not the same. Your body may look the same. You may have the same job. You may live in the same house. But you are different. In fact, we talked about it this week as we got ready for the baptism. I want us to put on the screen 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, do y'all have that handy? Y'all don't have that. All right, let me grab it real quick because I forgot to mark my, my Bible. All right, First, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You see, whenever we trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the old person passes away. And the new person is brought to life in Jesus Christ. My question is, has your life been transformed by the blood of Jesus Christ? Have you said yes to Jesus? Have you turned from your sin and your wickedness and your evil ways? And before you think I'm labeling you with a bad label, the truth of the matter is all of us are sinful, wicked, and evil short of the grace of Jesus Christ. All of us are sinners. Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus? Have you seen that his shed blood is the only way to experience forgiveness of your sins? If you haven't, then today you can come to that salvation faith in Jesus Christ. In a little bit, we'll have a chance for you to respond. You don't have to come forward to receive Jesus as your Savior, but if you want to talk to someone about it, I'll be available. I'll be available after the service. There's lots of people in our church that would love to talk to you about it. But salvation is where the culture begins to change because the lives of individuals first must change. See, the difference is if we're just about culture wars, then we could live moral, upright lives, and we could have laws that do different things, but our spiritual lives haven't been impacted in the least. 
Rather, our spiritual lives are impacted. We then therefore live differently. The old is gone, the new has come, and everything around us is impacted. So I have a couple of questions to ask you before we move to the next part of my outline, and that is, is your life being transformed by the consecrating work of the Holy Spirit? Is your life being transformed by the consecrating work of the Holy Spirit? Because not only are we washed from the old self and made to live in the new self, it's not a one-time thing where we're all of a sudden just like Jesus, but rather there's a process called sanctification where throughout our lives we're made more and more into the image of God. And the only way that we're made more and more into the image of God is by the work of the Holy Spirit within us. So are you being impacted by, transformed by the consecrating work of the Holy Spirit. The second question on this one is, how are you different today because of the work of Jesus in your life? How are you different because of the work of Jesus Christ in your life? So not only are lives impacted and changed, but next you'll see on the outline is culture is impacted. Look back at verse 26. Demetrius, the silversmith, the one who is making these shrines. The, what a shrine is, is basically he's making a replica of the, the temple of Artemis. And they're taking it to the house so that they can worship at the house before the altar of Artemis with this little tiny shrine. Okay, And Demetrius is concerned because culture around them is being impacted by the message of Jesus Christ. And he calls this gathering in verse 26. Demetrius has already said, guys, we make a lot of money from this job. And because of that, we are having issues. And in verse 26, he says, you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that gods made with hands are not gods. You see, because of the gospel, people were living differently. Paul was saying, stop worshiping these gods that are not gods. Stop worshiping these idols. Worship the one true God, Jesus Christ. And whenever people responded to the message that Paul was preaching, their lives were radically changed and no longer were they worshiping these foreign gods. And because of that, culture was being impacted. See, the gospel was causing people to turn from their sin and to turn to God. If you were here last week, Jacob preached and did a great job, and he talked about how there was a point in the story in Ephesus where lives were being impacted by so much of it that people were publicly confessing their sins, turning from their sins, having a book burning. They were doing all these things so that culture around them was seeing that their lives had been changed by the gospel. And because of that, we see what Demetrius' concern is in verse 27. He says, and there is a danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. In this passage, in verse 27, and the verses surrounding it, we see there are three different ways that culture is impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ. You may want to jot, jot these down. First of all, we see economically culture is impacted economically culture is impacted so much so in this story that their trade their occupation their business might disappear now what we need to see here is i don't believe the christians got together and said hey guys there's this dude in town named demetrius and he sells shrines so we're going to go to his business and we're going to hold protest signs up and we're going to boycott his business and we're going to put him out of business 
Rather, they just were following Jesus. And if they follow Jesus, they have to turn from these idols, which means they have no business to go down to Artemis, I mean, Demetrius's uh, shop and give him business. And then more lives were impacted and, and he lost business after business after business. You see, our, our economic decisions are impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ and therefore the economic situation of our culture is impacted as well. Can you imagine... Can you imagine what society would look like if today we were being impacted by the gospel in such a way that we would no longer spend money the way that we have spent money in the past? I I don't have the stats in front of me, but I do know this. The porn industry is blowing up. And the reason it's blowing up is because a lot of people are impacted by the addiction of porn. And the truth of the matter is, it's not just Christians that are impacted by it. I mean, not just non-Christians that are impacted by it, but Christians as well. Now, I do want to give this caveat right now, right here. If you're struggling with porn, that does not make you a horrible person. But if you are struggling with porn, then that's something that we as a church family want to help each other with. If you're struggling with alcohol abuse that's something we'd want to help you with but here's the deal if if i'm so much in love with jesus i'm not going to turn to the bottle and waste all my money on getting drunk because i'm filled with the holy spirit instead of filled with the other spirits think about the filth of some of the media that's out there and i'm not talking about mainstream media that's not the media i'm talking about the filth of television shows and comedy shows and movies, and music. The way that we choose to entertain ourselves. I don't want to get on a long litany of things, and I don't want to pick on certain sins, but what I am saying is this. The way that we spend our dollars as American Christians should impact our culture and our culture should look radically different than it does but we as christians all too often live our lives just like the world but there's hope in jesus christ there's hope in the holy spirit he brings freedom and deliverance from the chains of addiction and bondage and struggles and sin and wickedness But did you know that oftentimes he chooses to do that by using other believers in our lives to come alongside of us and walk through it with us? You see, none of us on our own can whip the habit that has us entangled. We can't do it by ourselves. We've got to have the Holy Spirit with us. Don't get me wrong, the Holy Spirit can do it on his own with you, but he chooses to use us. That's why we have a church family to do life together. That's why we have hope groups. That's why we have D groups. That's why we have equipping classes. That's why we have ministry teams. That's why we have um, deacons. That's why we have elders. That's why we have church family. We need each other. So all that to say, our economic spending should look different because of the work of the gospel in our lives. So the question I have for you on that one is, has the gospel impacted the way you spend your money? So I said that's the first thing. The second way that culture is impacted is religiously. 
people began to see that gods made with hands are not gods. They were turned away from the other gods and turned religiously to the one true God, and that's Jesus Christ. The religious landscape in Ephesus was shifting drastically. You heard it in verse 27. Demetrius is concerned that the temple and Artemis herself were at risk at amounting to nothing, coming to disrepute and falling away. Jacob mentioned a little bit about the temple of Artemis last week. Here's the deal. The temple of Artemis was the largest building in the Greek world. It was four times, listen, four times larger than the Parthenon. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And Demetrius says, because the gospel has impacted it so much so, that is beginning to go away. I do want to mention real quickly, in verse 35, there's a weird sentence in 35. It says that the town clerk is talking about how they are, um, they are the keeper of the, of the great Artemis. And it says, and they are keeper of the sacred stone that fell from the sky. I talked to some friends this morning. They got up at 3 o'clock this morning to watch a meteor shower. Did anybody else get up at 3 o'clock? I didn't. But I heard it's beautiful. Apparently a meteorite shower had taken place there in, in Ephesus at some point in time. And a meteorite landed apparently there. And so this sacred stone that fell from the sky was, a, was, a, was basically a statue they had fashioned after Artemis there everything in their lives was shaped in that city by artemis but when the gospel invaded their city everything began to shift and change the truth of the matter is this whenever you and i worship the one true god whenever we worship jesus christ then by necessity we must stop worshiping other gods you're like alan i got good news i ain't never been to A worship service for Artemis. I don't worship other gods. Truth of the matter is, we bow before a lot of gods. Travel ball. Hunting. Aggie football. Tradition. Political party. My way of thinking. My preferences. My family, my car, my bank account, my stuff. My addiction. Has your life been so radically changed? By Jesus Christ. That you kicked over that idol. And said no more. I was reading in Genesis this week. Have you read through Genesis lately? It's, it's a trip to read that book. Jacob. Not justice. But Jacob in Genesis. Never seems to get in. Yes, he do, yet he does along the way. He's a scheming, deceitful kind of guy, and yet God uses him. There's a portion in the story of Jacob that he has been doing things that are more reflective of pagan gods. And then there's a time that he shifts from worshiping pagan gods to worshiping the one true God, and his life radically changes. 
What I'm saying is, just as the ancient people had gods that they worshipped, so do we if we're not careful. Everything should look different because we worship Jesus Christ and none of these other gods. Third area that culture has changed, and that is culture itself, cultural or social change. The identity of the city of Ephesus was wrapped up in Artemis. Did you see about how they were prideful of her magnificence? Did you see how they had a a riot for two straight hours? They shouted and proclaimed, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. They were identified by Artemis. And so they were panicking because their cultural norms and their patterns of life were changing all around them. All of this was happening because people were turning to Jesus Christ and their lives were being changed and they were discipling others along those same lines. My question to you and I is this, does our culture look any different because of us? Or are we more impacted by our culture? We shouldn't be impacted by our culture. We should be impacted by the culture of the kingdom of God. Remember part of Jesus' model prayer was, um, um, oh my goodness, I just forgot it. I said, do you remember? And then I forget. Um, uh, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Thank you. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And so what I'm saying here is this. We should be wanting the kingdom of God to be lived out in our culture. Everything should be different because of what God's doing in our lives. I want us to keep moving. We're running out of time or ran out of time, whichever the case may be. The next thing on the outline says this. There will be resistance to these changes. Did you see Demetrius resisted? He he called a meeting. He said, guys, we got to do something. And then after he called that meeting, we got a bunch of angry, outraged people and they head to the amphitheater in the city that holds 25,000 people. It says that they drugged two followers of Jesus into that mob and they were seeking to intimidate and change the tide by intimidating the Christians. For two straight hours, can you picture the angry faces and the threatening gestures? Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians for two solid hours. Oftentimes, people respond and react with hostility whenever they see evidence of a lifestyle that challenges their own. Whenever someone that doesn't follow Jesus sees a genuine, humble, loving lifestyle of a Christian that is thoroughly impacted by the gospel, all too often it causes them to respond in hostility towards that Christian. Makes me think of some of the hardest areas to reach people with the gospel right now. In some of the places that are hardest to reach people with the gospel, one of the reasons it's hard to reach them with the gospel is because in that part of the world, to come to faith in Jesus Christ means to turn your back on everything culturally and within your family system. If you were here last week, you heard us talking about Mrs. R that lives in uh, Southeast Asia that had been poisoned because she had shared the gospel. And what I'm saying is this. 
there is resistance to the work of the gospel in our society. Hence the feeling that there is a culture war at times. Our call is to pray for believers in those hard-to-reach places that they would stand up in the face of resistance to share the gospel. And our prayer should also be that in our own lives that we would respond appropriately. So my question for you is this. What do you do when you experience resistance to the faith of Jesus Christ? Do you try to turn it into winning an argument or a debate against someone? Do you end up being angry at the people? Or do you remember, oh my goodness, Lost people act like lost people, and that doesn't mean to be a slam. It just means, culturally speaking, culture is going to be evil when culture is not radically impacted by the gospel. And therefore, instead of raging against the culture, I am filled with the Holy Spirit, loving Jesus, seeking to walk in His Word, and lovingly pointing people to the hope that's found in Jesus Christ, believing that as people come to faith, as disciples make disciples who make disciples who make disciples, that our culture will change as well. Do you try to win the culture war, or are you seeking the glory of God? Here's the good news. Even though resistance will come our way, the last point on your sermon outline says this, but this does not stop God from carrying out his plans. Did you see Paul? Paul was like, i got to get down to the amphitheater. And his friends told him, chill out, Paul. You're not going down there. The disciples said, no, you can't go. Uh, a group of people called the Asiarchs, which was basically a high-ranking official, uh, kind of the upper class in that city, they kept him from going down there as well. Like, why did Paul want to go? He didn't want to go to, like, argue with them. He wanted to go down there to preach the gospel to them. So then why did people stop him? They stopped him because God was protecting him so that he could continue on the mission that God had for him. The reality is this, that nothing stops God's plans from being carried out. Interesting thing is then God used a, a, a pagan, the town clerk, who isn't a follower of Jesus Christ, who stands up and says, hey boys, chill out, let's not argue, let's not have a riot because we know Artemis is right, so just let it go, guys. And the reality is God used the town clerk as his instrument to calm the mob, which then brought protection to the disciples and to Paul. Through many different providential acts, God oversees the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth. God is sovereign. He is in charge. And if he is sovereign, which he is, and if he is in charge, which he is, then his will will be accomplished, and therefore he can help us in the midst of any resistance we may face. My question for you is this. Are you a vessel that God is using to carry out his plans? I said that he used this town clerk who was a pagan, but is God using you? Are you making yourself into a vessel that God can use to carry out his plans? In what ways do you need to submit to the Holy Spirit to be better used by Him? To kind of bring all this to a close, in just a moment, we're going to respond. And the way we're going to respond here is we have two songs to sing. And during the first song, I'm available for you to come and pray here with me and at the altar. You can do that during the second song as well. But one of the ways we use the second song is some offering plates are passed. And when that's passed, you can drop offering envelope, you can drop your connection card and things like that. But I want us to use this response time as God leads us. And as we get ready to respond in this response time and afterwards, I, I want to bring some clarity. I'm not asking us to see ourselves as some kind of martyrs in our culture. Woe is us as Christians. We get picked on. People are mean to us. Culture is against us. No, that's not what I'm asking. I'm not asking for us to win some kind of culture war and then prove ourselves to be dominant. Dominant. 
Rather, here's what I'm asking us to do. I'm asking us to so live our lives by the gospel that everything is changed, beginning in our life and extending out into those around us. May we do all of this for the glory of God and not for ourselves. Allow the gospel to impact your life, which in turn will impact your surroundings too. This morning, what is the Lord leading you to do? And are you going to say yes to him? Let me lead us in prayer. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. God, we thank you for the examples that we see in this story in the book of Acts where the gospel is being radically shared in the city of Ephesus and lives are being radically changed by the truth of the gospel. The culture is being impacted, that all of the things around them are being impacted. And Father, I pray that we would be so so filled with the Holy Spirit that our lives would be impacted and then everything around us would be impacted as well. Father, I pray for those that are here this morning that have never turned to you and trusting in Jesus as their Savior. God, I pray for people like Juliana was. She, she shared a moment ago how she had, had got baptized at age nine and she realized, oh my goodness, I don't really understand the gospel message. So Father, I pray that people would really examine their lives and that people would be drawn to the saving grace of Jesus Christ and that through that saving grace that we would be empowered by the Holy Spirit to live a life that reflects the truth of the gospel and that not only our lives but the lives of the people around us and our culture as a whole will be impacted because of your word. Father, I pray that you'd have your way in this place this morning, and then as we dismiss, that we would go out and live it as well. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. If you're able to, would you stand with us? As I said, this first song, I'm available here at the front. Second song, uh, we'll pass some offering place, but let's use these next couple of songs to respond as the Lord leads us there at your seat, at the altar, bring someone to pray with you, come and pray with me, fill out your connection card. You do as the Lord leads you. Oh
confess that Christ is our cornerstone for our lives. We confess that He is Lord of all. But Father, I pray that we would truly confess it, and not just with our words, not just with our mouth, but that our true confession would be one lived by the power of the Holy Spirit, living a life of obedience. So Father, help us to live in the truth that Jesus is Lord of all. It's in the powerful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.